Once again, Formula One is coming to the U.S. of A. Like Miami in May, Austin hosting the second race here in the United States, the U.S. Grand Prix. It'll be at the Circuit of the Americas. Last year, the race was packed after the series did not come stateside in 2020. This year, the crowd will be just as large, but welcoming in this year's champion and Max Verstappen, who clinched the title in Japan. The series will be heading to the stretch run towards the end of the season. Four races remaining, but the crown has already been won. So what else does the U.S. Grand Prix offer? We're going to go over the five things to watch for. We'll have ourselves a look at the Circuit of the Americas, a favorite among drivers. Plus, we'll have our top five and bottom five from the controversial Japanese Grand Prix. It's the Overtake F1 Podcast. I'm Tony Daziri. If you've been a longtime listener, thank you for your support. I hope you'll subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you're brand new and this is the first time that you're hearing this podcast, I urge you to give it a listen and give it a couple of other episodes to listen to. And hopefully you'll subscribe and help support this channel as well. A lot of Formula One podcasts out there. I'm an American broadcaster doing it sort of an American sports talk style. And I hope you enjoy it as we've been running through this season. We started last year and we'll be continuing along down the stretch as Americans continue to embrace Formula One. And that's the top thing that we're going to watch for in our five things to watch for this weekend from the United States Grand Prix. And that's the atmosphere. Look, there's a race in Miami where there's a fake harbor with boats that are placed at one of the turns. And then next year is going to be a night race in Las Vegas down the world famous strip. Right now, the circuit of the Americas is where the U.S. Grand Prix is held. 440,000 fans over three days in Austin in a country that is really feeling the Formula One fever. Liberty Media, the owners of the series, wanted Americans to embrace F1 with the success of Drive to Survive. It appears to be working. Last season was unique because we were just coming out of a global pandemic. Some of the venues around the world were, were taking in only a restricted amount in their attendance, 66%, 50%, things like that. But Austin did not. And it showed on the telecast on ABC as well as the global media. The U.S. Grand Prix is not a new race, of course. It, it just, it's been running in Formula One since 1959 with some of the years dormant. But what happened in the 2000s in Indianapolis, especially the tire disaster of 2005, it just did not sit well as a sport here in the United States. Now with the renewed interest, Coda is still and will be a party. It was willing to bet on itself before Drive to Survive, and now it is paying off with the atmosphere that is really, really intoxicating. Miami and Las Vegas, they're going to have a lot of glitz and glamour when they are on the calendar, right? Miami will go into year number two. Las Vegas, it will inaugural race in 2023. But as of right now, the United States Grand Prix is being held in Austin, Texas. The second thing to watch for is the magic number 13. Can Max Verstappen get that 13th victory of the season? And if he does, it would tie Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel for the most in a single season. Schumacher won 13 races in 2004, a season where there were only 18 Grand Grand Prix races. Vettel won 13 for Red Bull in 2013. 19 Grand Prix races were on that schedule. Verstappen has won 12 of the 18 races in 2022. A win would tie him with those two drivers and would also put him in about the same range as those guys in terms of how many wins and how many races. But with four more on the schedule, he still could just add to that total and finish off one of the most dominating years the sport has seen. But this sport has seen a lot of dominating years. Lewis Hamilton, I mentioned Vettel and Schumacher, all the drivers that have had dominating years. Verstappen, because of the amount on the calendar and the way he's rolling right now, could have the most 
most dominating year the sport has ever seen. Now, if you're a numbers guy, Schumacher's 13 wins in 18 races is a 72% win total. If Verstappen were to match that based on the 22 Grand Prix events, four more than Schumacher had, he'd have to win 16 races. Uh, and that would mean he'd have to win the next four uh, just to get to the 72% win total. Yeah, you might look at it that way. You might look at it just in the number of Grand Prix wins in a given season. Either way, Verstappen is going to have one of the most dominating years the sport has ever seen, if not the most dominating year the sport has ever seen, depending on your point of view with the numbers. The third thing to watch for at the U.S. Grand Prix is the other battles in the standings, because we still have a lot of things to play for here, despite the crown already being won in Verstappen's camp. Red Bull will likely clinch the constructors' title this weekend. They lead Ferrari by 165. They need to lead Ferrari by 147 at the end of the race to clinch their first constructors' title since 2013. That's the year Vettel won the 13 races. Now, if Ferrari wants to secure P2 in the standings, they have to hold off Mercedes, because they lead the Silver Arrows by 60 seven. That's a good lead, but that can disappear in a hurry if your drivers had have some bad races. But a couple of others to watch out for. Alpine leading McLaren by 13 for P4. That's a battle we've been watching all year long. Alfa Romeo leading Aston Martin by seven points for P6. And watch out because the tide has been turning in Aston Martin's favor lately with the good run by Sebastian Vettel at Japan and Lance Stroll has had some good runs, but an Alfa Romeo has just one point in the last nine races. So they're heading downward. Aston Martin's heading upward. So that's a battle to watch out for, for P6 in the constructors. And while Verstappen has clinched the world championship, his teammate Sergio Perez is in a nice race for P2 with Charles Leclerc. He leads that race by just one point. George Russell leads Carlos Sainz by just five points for P4 in the driver's standings. Number four, it's the cost cap findings. You knew this was coming. There was a buzz around Suzuka about what the FIA would be releasing in its investigation, that there were breaches in the cost cap in 2021. There were rumors in the paddock that two of the teams went over the cap and everybody was pointing their finger at Red Bull. And what they determined was that Red Bull committed a minor breach. That means they spent up to 5% of the cap number of $145 million. They did not give an exact amount and that was not released but it's still not treated as a minor breach by some of the teams because 5% of 145 million is 7.25 million. And that might not seem a lot when you're talking about 145 million, but in the end, that could, in a sport that's dealing with thousands of a second, 7.25 million is a lot. The problem is that may not be what Red Bull spent. It could be a million. It could be 500,000. It could be 2 million. Nevertheless, they went over the cap number. I talked about this in our review of the Japanese Grand Prix. You know, Red Bull may say, hey, well, it was catering and all this other, but the reality of it is, it's money that you overspent. It doesn't matter what department it was from. If you're spending money overspending on catering, you're using the remains to help out other departments. So you can't really determine if you just hide it in catering and say it's just catering and it's like, oh, well, no problem. It was just catering. Then teams are going to get really creative in the accounting. So that's not really an excuse. But the problem is we don't know what how much they overspent by. There was a report in the Daily Mail that it was only a million dollars. Nobody really knows. So we don't know where the punishment is going to be, and it's going to take a while for them to sort that out. But in Austin, this is where the world media is now going to know what they know and being able to ask the questions of Christian Horner and Red Bull about this release that came the Monday following the Japanese Grand Prix, right? Again, Zach Brown and Total Wolf are both on the record as saying, man, these penalties better be severe because in the end, 
end, we're all going by the same rules. And if you can just break them and just be fined, what's the point on having a rule in the first place? If you're trying to cut costs by the rich teams and the rich teams just have to pay a fine in the end, they'll just pay the fine in the end. World championships and all of that are really important in this sport. It's why they spend the hundreds of millions of dollars on the sport. But the reality is they're kind of right on this, right? It doesn't really matter how much Red Bull overspent. We're talking about a 2021 championship that came down to the final lap on the final race between two drivers. And that $7 million, if it was that, or $1 million, if the Daily Mail is right, could have meant one spot up on the grid, one little tick on the in, in qualifying or a, or a race or whatever that allowed that to play out. Is that an overreaction? Probably. In the end, I don't know if any of that money actually helped Verstappen win the title, but that's not the point. That's not the point. When you, The reason you have a cost cap is to make it more competitive for everybody. And if one team is going over even by just a million bucks, it kind of ruins the whole spirit of why it was there in the first place. So watch out for this. This is going to be interesting. The global media now is armed with information. I am absolutely positive they're going to hit Christian Horner up with this, Helmut Marco with this. They're going to talk to every Red Bull official they can. This might be a big deal. It might be no deal. Who knows? But again, because the FIA has now released this information, you're going to have a lot more questions from the world media. I do know one thing, and I, this has been kind of confirmed with a lot of people who are deeply cl- covering this story. It doesn't look like there's any chance of Verstappen being stripped of his 2021 title, regardless of this minor breach. I think he keeps it and Lewis Hamilton is not going to get awarded uh, the championship at some little minor ceremony at a banquet or something. Verstappen is the 2021 champion regardless of where this where this goes. The fifth thing to watch out for this weekend in Austin and that is Mercedes. I keep bringing them up because there's a reason. They're running out of time to get that first win of the season and something I predicted would actually happen. But hear me out on this because this is the reason I put them in the top things to watch for. They're bringing a new aerodynamic package that completes the upgrades for the season. Andrew Sloven saying that he hopes these upgrades get them moving forward, not only towards the rest of the year where they're looking for progress, but also a start into the 2023 season. The W13 has just not had the pace this season. We've not seen it be competitive on pace with Red Bull or Ferrari, but Lewis Hamilton and George Russell have both gotten the best out of that car at times. They've had a number of podium finishes this year. It's that elusive win that's just been out of reach because they're just not quite there. You're talking about a big, long run by Red Bull. Ferrari has had a couple of wins here, and Mercedes just not can't seem to capitalize on some opportunities out there. I mean, George Russell was in the top five for a good majority of the races this season, but never quite near the top. They just didn't have the pace. Now, I don't think they're going to win in Austin. It's been Hamilton country for a long time. He won one with McLaren. He won four races for uh, Mercedes at this circuit, but this is a new year. This is a new car. Red Bull's really on a roll. Ferrari has been outstanding in terms of their pace too, but nevertheless, I'm still waiting for an opportunity where it sort of opens up for them. There, there, there's some, some chance of Mercedes getting that car to the front and staying up front. You never know in this sport. I got four races to have my prediction come true. I thought, it would come true a little earlier. It just simply is not. Um, you remember Valtteri Botas also won from the Silver Arrows there in 2019. But again, this is a different year with a different card. The W13 just hasn't been all that good, but this aerodynamic package could serve them well. We'll see. 
All right, now it's time for Track Talk. We're going over this week's circuit, and it is the Circuit of the Americas. It's been hosting the U.S. Grand Prix since 2012, with the 2020 season the only one where it was not run, of course, due to the global pandemic. 20 turns, got great elevation changes, and it also borrows some of the designs of other circuits around the world. It's like one of those golf courses you play where they, like, recreate famous holes. You have a stretch that is a similar feel to Silverstone's Maggots, Beckett's, and Chapel. There's a replica of Istanbul's turn eight, one of the corners that was inspired by the Senna S at Interlagos. Uh, Hockenheim's feature is kind of laid into this circuit as well. It does go counterclockwise, kind of like Istanbul Park, Interlagos, Marina Bay. Uh, they have more left-hand turns than right-handers. I think the opening where the cars kind of go straight up the hill provides one of the more powerful views of Formula One. It's an 11% climb to that first corner, so it's not, it's not as small as like the uphill turn at Hungary or the uphill turn at Austria but it's a pretty, pretty steep climb to that first corner. And once you get off that corner, it becomes that familiar Silverstone left, right, left, right sort of weave before you head into sector two. Now that does contain a sharp hairpin at turn 11 into a long straight. That's going to be the first DRS zone. And then coming out of that, you go straight into turn 12, you head into sector three, and that features a long right-hander. That's kind of similar to the design of turn eight in Turkey at Istanbul Park, and but it's going in the opposite way. Turn 19 leads to a short shoot, and then the final quarter and then the long stretch to the line that's the second drs zone at the circuit four current drivers on the grid have tasted victory at coda hamilton's won their five times sebastian vettel won in 2013 for red bull valtteri botas 2019 max verstappen last year the retired kimmy raikkonen in a ferrari was a winner there in 2018 it was rather bumpy circuit last year if you remember they have done some resurfacing pirelli bringing the mid-range tires c2 for the hard c3 for the mediums c4 for the softs it was a two-stopper last year likely to be the same we'll see and the race will be running 53 laps weather looks absolutely fantastic this weekend in austin all right so now let's get to the top five and bottom five from the japanese grand prix rather controversial we'll touch on that in a little bit uh we'll also get into logan Sargent. he'll be an fp1 on friday uh, the american driver hitting the f1 grid but let's get to the bottom five from suzuka we'll start with number five ferrari's charles leclerc he did make a push towards the front on that opening lap but Max had the better outside line in turn one that allowed him to hold off the charge. Leclerc did hang on to second place the entire race uh, until he cut that chicane on that final lap after fighting Sergio Perez back for a good portion of the final laps. That shortcut cost him five seconds and moved him to P3, and that ended up giving Verstappen the inevitable championship he's going to win anyway, but nevertheless, it came at Suzuka, Leclerc making a mistake. Could have hold off until Austin, but nevertheless, Leclerc, that one mistake puts him in the bottom five. Number four, Valtteri Botas. I can't begin to tell you how disappointing this is. I was really, really happy for Botas going to Alfa Romeo in sort of a new era in Formula One where teams were going to be more competitive. I thought he was the leader that that team needed. Um, I thought he was going to get that team in some points. He certainly did that at the beginning of the season. But like his teammate Joe Guan Yu, they did not score a point in Japan. He was supposed to do the good things for this team, and he hasn't. He finished 15th in Suzuka. The team has only one point over the last nine races. Botas has not gotten a point since the Canadian Grand Prix. It's another disappointing race for Valtteri. 
Number three, George Russell. Didn't really want to put him here because it kind of isn't his fault, but nevertheless, the team double stacked him with Hamilton. That didn't help him at all. He lost a few places due to that. He finished eighth, had a really good overtake in the, just before I think the Dunlop corner that was really impressive, but it's the second straight race that he is not in the top five. Didn't finish well at, at Singapore. And so Russell is in my bottom five. I expect more, I think, and I really shouldn't because of the circumstances and the race and the rain and all of that, but I, I put him in the top bottom five anyway. Number two, Carlos Sainz. It's hard to be down on Sainz for this. Let's be honest. It was really wet and he got sideways in the rain. That happens. Hit a puddle, hydroplaned, went into the barrier, but it was pretty costly in his position to run for P2 in the driver's standing. Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc, the two other drivers kind of in that mix, they're on the podium. George Russell is in there too. And Carlos Sainz had an early retirement. It's his fifth one of the season. He does have the win at Silverstone at Certainly uh, adds a lot to his uh, a lot to his year, but five retirements in a year. This was this was a bad one. Uh, but the number one bottom five, and I, I say this every time we do this. It could be anybody. It could be drivers. It could be teams. It could be principals. It could be circumstances. It doesn't matter. Any element that is part of the Grand Prix weekend that affected the Grand Prix weekend can be in the top five and bottom five. And my number one is going to be the FIA officials. The race was a mess. Let's be honest. It was a real mess. It was so confusing with the points. It wasn't clear exactly what was happening, and it denied Verstappen a real celebration for the world championship. I know, boo-hoo, cry me a river, but look, we were told the entire broadcast that there were kind of these tiers, and depending on how much the race was completed, that's how many points were going to be given out, but that really wasn't the case. The race was red flagged, and then it finished under the time. And so because it finished in the time limit, full points were awarded where you got the tier structure is if the race was red flagged and they couldn't resume it. And then you would say, based on the percentage of what the race was, was done at the time of the red flag. And then eventually the halting of the race, that's where you get, it seems like a simple thing in a simple explanation. Why did everybody, including the teams feel that it was otherwise Verstappen didn't even know full points were being awarded. And he was the world champion until he was in the cool down room. Like that's a mistake. That should have been uh, that should have been radioed or delivered to all ten teams on the grid. Hey, if we get this thing under the under the time limit and we don't stop this thing again, full points are going to get awarded. So play accordingly. Eh? And Red Bull again, they didn't even get a chance to tell Max he was the world champion. I know, boohoo, cry me a river part two. I get it. And the other issue, and this is a lot more serious, was the release of the recovery vehicle when Pierre Gasly was going around the track at a good clip to catch up with the back of the field because they were all behind the safety car. Now, recovery vehicles are on the track all the time, and it's usually sunny, and you can see them, et cetera, et cetera, and you know that there's sort of a caution, and you got to be careful, but... Gasly didn't know that the recovery vehicle was on the track and came oh so close to slamming right into him, which would have cost him his life. And because with Jules Bianchi still fresh in our memories, this is a terrible, terrible look. Gasly was wrong to be going that fast, but in those conditions, you got to do something else than you normally do. If normally you go, all right, the car, we got to get the car off as soon as possible. Maybe you go, hey, can we just hold off on that until the cars are all bunched together on the on behind the safety car and no one is going around the track playing catch up because visibility is so bad. Why don't we wait a little bit? FIA officials on both of those issues failed this race completely. That's why the Japanese Grand Prix was controversial and that's why it was a mess. 
But let's get to the good. The top five. At number five, Nicholas Latifi. He finished P9 as we say goodbye to the Canadian driver whose legacy will be secure in the sport as long as people still talk about Abu Dhabi of 2021. You can't tell that story without the Latifi crash. He's moving on to IndyCar next season. We do wish him well. We've had fun with Nicholas Latifi's failure on the F1 grid, but you got to give him credit when he does get into the points. He did, he pitted early for those intermediate tires. It paid off really well, right? I mean, yeah, he got passed by George Russell, but he held off the McLarens. Good for him. Nicholas Latifi is five in our top five. Number four, Alonzo Vettel. I double stacked there. You see what I did? Uh, what a finish between these two legends and two world champions. Vettel in his final race at one of his favorite circuits on the globe, edging out Alonzo by one hundredth of a second at the line. An outstanding battle that was a treat for the fans who sat in the rain all day wondering if this race was going to get started. Remember, they were shut out of back-to-back Grand Prix weekends because of COVID, and then they get there, and it's raining, and they don't know if it's going to happen, and they do get a race. They see a dominating run by Max Verstappen. They do end up seeing a championship, but they also were treated to a close at the line finish between two world champions. Vettel ended up sixth and Alonso seventh in that race. Number three, Sergio Perez. He had Leclerc in his sights and was able to reel him in. He forced the mistake at the chicane and that ended up giving him P2 after the five second penalty. He won at Singapore. He finished second in Japan. Max ran away with the title, but Perez has moved up to P2 in the driver's standings. Good for him. Good for Sergio Perez. Number two, and I edged him over Sergio Perez, was Esteban Ocon. Fourth place finish, his best of the year. He started fifth. It's tricky conditions. He made it work, and he held back the one guy that was making a push for most of the race, and that was Lewis Hamilton. It did move Alpine ahead of McLaren for P4 in the Constructors' race. Overall, a solid day for the team and mostly for Ocon, but number one with a bullet, Max Verstappen. I don't like to give the winner of the Grand Prix, and especially Max Verstappen, the number one overall top five. It's like driver of the day. You don't always give it to the winner, right? And and sometimes circumstances have been the top race. A, a real surprise finish for a guy is going to be number one. You can give it to Max all the time, but I give it to him here. The world champion dominated this race from the point of silliness almost. He could have gotten fresh in immediates and not lost his place. He won by 27 seconds. It's too bad he couldn't properly celebrate the title, but whatever. Boo-hoo, part three. He picked up his 12th. It's too bad he couldn't properly celebrate the title, but whatever. Boo-hoo, Crimea River, part three. But he did pick up his 12th win of the season. He has 32 for his career that ties him with Fernando Alonso. And remember those reliability issues that the team had at the beginning of the season? Had a DNF at Bahrain, DNF in Australia. I don't know if we're going to be able to compete with the Ferraris. Wink, wink, 19 races to go. Well, he made up for that. Charles Leclerc in Austria, the last non-Red Bull driver to win a Grand Prix. Verstappen is on a roll. I have absolutely no idea where it's going to stop. All right, one other bit of news and notes. Uh, Logan Sargent, American driver, will make an FP1 appearance Friday for Williams. If you are going to the U.S. Grand Prix, pay attention to that. 21-year-old is third in the Formula 2 standings. He'll be the first American to drive and take part in an F1 session since Alexander Rossi in 2015. You know my point on 
on this if you're a longtime listener to the podcast and if you're only uh, joining us for the first time. I do think it's important for Americans to have an American driver on the grid to continue the popularity of the sport. I would not do it as a gimmick. Formula One should be away from gimmicks. We did the pay driver thing. I hope we don't have to dive into that too much. But if you're Liberty Media, that's what you'd want. You'd want an American driver for the country to root for. If you're putting three races in the United States, it's good to have an American driver on the grid. I know some of you around the world will disagree with that, and I understand why. You want the 20 best. And if Logan Sargent or Colton Herta or anybody else is not one of the 20 best, then you don't want him on the grid. That's why Nicholas Latifi gets such a hard time. But I'm like a lot of you around the world. I know my podcast is heard in the Netherlands and in England and in France and in Spain and a number of other places. You all get very excited for the, your drivers of your country. And I want to experience that too. We've had Formula One drivers from the United States before. Alexander Rossi is one of them. Mario Andretti and Jim Hill won championships, right? But I think now with the, with the combination of the new popularity and the rise of Drive to Survive and people starting to notice the sport, you're also seeing a bigger presence on television. ABC is now putting more Formula One races on their network on Sundays, right? It used to be just the Monaco Grand Prix on tape delay and then the U.S. Grand Prix live. Well, they put Miami and Canada on ABC this year. So it's not just an ESPN cable thing. It is now starting to get into network television. And again, the Las Vegas race is going to be big under the lights. I think when you want to take all of those elements, put them together, I think adding an American driver would make the American audience really more receptive to this sport. So again, I understand the concerns. Believe me, I see you Netherlands and I see you France. I see you England. I understand. Don't put Logan Sargent in the ride just because he waves a certain flag. He's got to earn it. The super license points have to come. All of those things but believe me, there's going to be some excitement on Friday to see how Logan Sargent does in this kind of audition. There's an empty seat at Williams. I don't know if he's going to fill it. It might be just a little too early, but believe me, there's a lot of people in this country pulling for him to fill that seat. All right. Thank you once again for listening to this podcast of the United States Grand Prix preview. We'll be back uh, next week to give you a full review of the Grand Prix weekend. I am so excited to attend. By the way, I want to thank DHL for this opportunity to take me and my uh, son to the U.S. Grand Prix. I finished runner up in their DHL Formula One announcer commentator contest. I don't go to a lot of races as a fan. I usually go as a member of the media and have to do some work for it. But this weekend, I'll really enjoy it. And again, we'll have a full review coming up next week. Again, download the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to get a hold of me on Twitter, at Tony D Radio is where you could find me. You can also find us on Facebook, the Overtake F1 Podcast. And I'd love to see you there as well. Enjoy the race. We'll be back next week. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 Podcast. Overtake F1 Podcast.